Cocktail College is brought to you by Tequila Don Julio. Don Julio Gonzalez followed his heart over his head. He loved his land, agave, and community. Basically, every choice he made was for exceptional tequila, something I know you can appreciate, Cocktail College listener. He did it por amor, and this is how people from Mexico basically live every single day. Hecho en México, loved everywhere. Head to www.donjulio.com forward slash tequila dash drinks for a list of cocktails to create with Tequila Don Julio's expressions. Made with love in every drop. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Like many others in his line of work, two things are true about today's guest. He's head over heels about agave spirits, and he kind of fell into the category accidentally. Those aren't the only two things you should know, of course. He's also the beverage director at Los Angeles Mirate, a Vinepair 50 and Vinepair Next Wave award winner, and generally just one of the most engaging, enjoyable individuals to chat shop with. His name is Maxwell Reese. You'll know that we kicked off with the guest and not the cocktail there, which we don't normally do. And that's because, as I think we mentioned during the first time covering it, the margarita simply needs no introduction. It's also too big of a behemoth, too broad-reaching of a topic to devote just one episode to. So we're revisiting today to hear Max's unique approach and learn why it might be time to rethink a certain kitchen pantry staple. We'll take a quick Baloma detour and dive deep into the ever-evolving category of tequila and agave spirits. All of that right here, listener, on the Cocktail College Podcast. I want to set the scene here for you, listener, so that you can see what I'm seeing, but in your mind. To the left of him, he has an anvil. To the right of him, he has a silver hammer. It is, of course, none other than Maxwell Reese. Max, musical guy yourself, thought you might appreciate that reference right there. Yeah, very the Beatles, much so, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah, I'm actually named after uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer, hilariously enough. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. My, uh, That's my hilarious. Mom, uh, yeah, it was hilarious. I was talking to her and um, I kind of pointed out that, that it was about a hypothetical, you know, serial killer. And she was like, I didn't even think about that. I just liked the song. It was so happy. <laughs> it's such a happy song, but it's such a dark topic matter. <laughs> I think people don't realize that, but that's uh, hilarious. I don't think I knew that, but I'm glad that we landed there. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you are you are a musical man, Max. I, I know that that was maybe your kind of your prior interest before you got into the beverage space and before you came some i'm gonna say something of an agave head is that fair is that a fair way you've got a mezcal hat on right now <laughs> right right <laughs> quite literally an agave head yeah yeah no totally um i'm absolutely obsessed with the space of agave uh have been since i kind of fell into it um almost accidentally and yeah i mean uh, I, I thank you for that intro actually i hate it when people call me an expert because i'm like i'm not an expert, unless I've been to every single one of these people's uh, palinques or vinatas. You know, I'm not an expert, but um, I do love it, and I, I'd like to think I know quite a bit about it. <laughs> you're you're an enthusiast and an advocate. I'll say this. You know, I I like to you know Mirate, where you guys are operating out of over there in LA. I feel like even being on the opposite coast here, but just looking at what you guys are doing on Instagram or looking at your menus, I get a feel of like what's interesting, what's new, what people are discovering or what you guys over there in the West Coast are discovering because I know you go down there a lot. Uh, that's maybe more on the agave spirits and mezcal side of things. We're going to be a little bit more mainstream today in, in, in many respects. Um, we're heading up to Jalisco where tequila... And of course, the world's favorite cocktail, the margarita, or certainly America's favorite cocktail. Max, what's mm -hmm. the first thing that comes to mind when I mention margarita to you? Uh, I mean, shoot. I mean, honestly, like, I know this is a departure from the cocktail, but what I always think about, what someone once told me was, you know, it's like, you never see someone upset with a margarita in their hand. Like, it's this feeling of, like, refreshing, like, non-offensive exoticism. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's complex yet simple and elegant. And 
I love it. You know, it's, it's, you know, if you're, if you're having a bad day, you know, you think of someone sitting there with like an old fashioned or like a Manhattan, but <laughs> try not smiling with a margarita on your hand. You know, it's just like, you're having a good time. Like that's, that's, that's what it's about. You know? Yeah. It's, it, you, you mentioned some of the kind of dualities of it there. You know, this is a complex cocktail when, you know, when you're dialing in the spec or when you're, when you're treating it like that, but it's also something that has mass appeal. I, I, I don't think, you know, there are too many people in the world that have been handed a margarita and didn't like it, even on first sip, even if they didn't like tequila. <laughs> it's, you know, um, also part of the the legend and the lore is just all the different variations or versions of serving margs that we've come across, you know, frozen, mm. Cadillac, Tommy's. Is there another cocktail out there that that those variations are seen as good things, right? I don't think people like strawberry daiquiris. <laughs> you know, they care ah. about cocktails. Um, the margarita <laughs> hey, gets away I, with I it. I have one on, uh, in my slushy machine right now, actually. <laughs> okay, well, I bet that one's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you know, it's, it is really interesting. It's, um, I, I mean, it's, it, I would say, like, other adjacent cocktails, right? Like the daiquiri, big time. You see a lot of, you know, variations of it. Uh, the, the sour cocktail, but... I think just those kind of bare bones cocktails, like these classics that were just simple ingredients to all balanced, you ended up finding, you know, small variations. Sometimes they were a complete departure from the original. Sometimes they were, you know, just a minute ingredient change. You know, the, the Hemingway daiquiri is a completely different cocktail than the standard daiquiri. The margarita, not so much from some of the others, you know, it's as you've seen it evolve over the years. Um, I think it's a good tell of just kind of what's available and what's introduced, you know, a lot of cocktail history. The reason why these things change is because they became, you know, you got access to new things, new ingredients or, um, you know, or maybe just times changed, products changed. Uh, a good example, hilariously enough, is uh, there's a tiki bar here in L.A. Uh, called the Tonga Hut. And uh, if you drink uh, ever, you have to drink the entire grog log, which is like all the original Tiki cocktails, right? <laughs> and I tried to do it. You have to do it all within one year. I got, I got fairly far, but, uh, but you have to drink them to original spec, as they were found in the book. And it's really hard. Um, and it's not because people had bad taste back then. It's because the ingredients have changed so drastically, and you're still playing with them like they're the same. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> th things change. You know, it's like I, I collect vintage spirits, and um. You know, sometimes you try like, you know, vintage Campari versus modern Campari or Cointreau even, you know, things like that. And it's like, oh, this has changed a lot. You know, this is not, this is no longer the same. This is not yeah. what people were drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, our, our, our collective palates change, right? I think this is a conversation we have a lot. They've gone towards more of a appreciating bitter flavors and maybe wanting less or saying that we want less sweetness, whether that's actually true or not. I don't know. We certainly don't want cloying. Um <laughs> I think that's a great thing about the margarita, though. Like, if you are using a classic spec or a daisy spec for or whatever you you know, however you want to call it, that there's balance there with the ingredients as they stand currently, right? <laughs> uh, just sorry, we're just laughing here. Max's cat is it has entered the studio. It's fantastic. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, How did he get out? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that classic that that daisy spec, right? That still. Mm -hmm holds true, unlike some of those tiki drinks or many of those tiki drinks that you spoke about. Yes, I agree. You know, and I think I think that classic Daisy spec uh, does work very well. I think that people do alter it minutely. Um, you know, like for me, if I'm doing a classic Daisy style margarita um, with Cointreau, you know, like, for example, um, I usually will add like a, you know, bar spoon of some alternative sweetener to add a little bit more body because that's what I prefer. Um, but yeah, it's like, if you have the classic, it's still amazing. It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. dry and it's, you know, spirit forward and it's awesome. You know, it's, what's not to like. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point there. I like that you say spirit forward. Cause I don't think that's something we often appreciate about this drink. But like you said, if you're using Cointreau, you're getting, if you're not hitting three ounces of at least 80 proof spirit in this drink, you're getting close to it with two and three quarter or whatever. It's a boozy drink, which is maybe why we love it so much as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's people don't think about that. You know, they think about Cointreau and they think it's, you know, like a stranded liqueur where it's going to be based at a lower ABV. But no, it's 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 ripping. I'm, I'm fairly sure it's 40 percent. Yeah, I should. I should know that my girlfriend works for Cointreau, so I should probably know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm also somewhat certain that I think, yeah, it's it's definitely spirit proof. Uh, so not below that. And we often don't mm -hmm. think about that because 
we might kind of describe it as an orange liqueur or whatever or, you know, mm-hmm. triple sec. But it, it really isn't that. And it really is. It's interesting that that's where we might be getting the sweetness from. And I think if you taste Cointreau on its own, it's really not actually that sweet at all. I mean, it errs mm. on the sweeter side of the spectrum, but it's not cloying in any way. So it's not bringing a ton of sweetness to the classic spec. No, totally. And, you know, I think a lot of people, they forget when you're talking about balance in a cocktail, which is, of course, like what makes something so simple, like a margarita amazing is because, you know, the less ingredients in there, the easier it is to mess up if there's not like key balance is um, one of the biggest balancing, you know, ways to balance out sugar outside of citrus and bitter is alcohol, like alcohol content makes it so you need more sugar to find balance. So if you think about, you know, literally three ounces of 40% spirit in your cocktail, that's that's a lot, you know, it, that's balance in <laughs> itself. Yeah, it's totally. Um, we haven't gotten into history yet. I want us to, but with a kind of asterisk that so good is the margarita. Like this cocktail is so great that I feel like it's one of those ones that countless people have tried to claim it over the years. And also, as we mentioned, like that daisy speck maybe already existed. So we're adapting. But what can you tell us about the history today? Do you have any maybe theories that you believe more than some of the others that are out there? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Um, So many different variations. Um, I know that like the earliest mention of the tequila daisy was in, I think, around 1936. And that's, that's a long time ago, right? And then you start finding other variations or things that are similar. Um, I know that there was another name for it, like, because um, my personal opinion is that it came from the Daisy, right? Because, you know, the, the Brandy Daisy was very popular. It makes complete sense that you would do a tequila Daisy and Daisy in Spanish is margarita. Uh, that to me just makes too much sense. Um, I think that's very logical. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's where it came from. Um, also, like a lot of other cocktails, you know, it's like the classic Daisy was with lemon, uh, you know, and then I think people started realizing that lime suited the spirit a little bit better. Um, when I do a classic style one, I actually split it because I think that tastes more classic if I do half lemon, half lime, kind of an homage like sweet and Ooh. sour. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's I don't know why it just tastes more like, you know, uh, wholesome, maybe I, yeah, I, I, I it feels know. more rounded in my head as I'm as, as I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to imagine this flavor profile. Never had one like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like a. It's like, a, I mean, obviously I'm not making it using bad product, but it's like the elevated version of like Cabo Cantina, like margarita mix off a gun kind of thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, it's um, but yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of history behind that. I know that originally one of the oldest printed recipes of the tequila daisy or the margarita was it actually called it the, uh, the, the picador, um, which I thought was really, really interesting. So I think it started around and found different variations. Um, it also could be one of those things where it's like, I think people forget often that the level of communication at that time was not as widespread. And I think getting access to tequila and trying it in a logical format, um, it could have been invented by many different people. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, I've I've made cocktails just using, you know, logic as a bartender. And someone will be like, oh, you know, that's a cocktail at this place. Like yeah. you t- took their cocktail. I'm like, no, it's just a very logical build. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but that's the way it goes, you know. So I think it could have been all over the place. You know, being so close to Mexico, I I love to believe some of the mythos. Like I love going to Husongs and I love being like, you've been making this margarita here for since like the 1940s. And logically, uh, you know, that's not the first in terms of like, you know, um, paper trail, but it's awesome. And I believe that they've been making it the same way since then. And at the same time, you know, it's like, again, I keep bringing up like exoticism and all that, you know, I think that like a big part of cocktails is like history and also traveling through cocktails, you know, like the whole, um, you know, tiki movement came or now tropical because, you know, we've evolved away from that. But, uh, that originally was called, a. it started in LA, so it's pretty prevalent here. And those were called bamboo bars, you know, and mm-hmm. it was like, and the whole idea was like, oh, I'm traveling. Like, you know, I don't have access to this travel like we do modernly. So people are are traveling. So, you know, it's like, I love going to TJ and, and all these other bars and they're like, we invented the margarita. You know, it's kind of like New York with like the best slice in it, you know, New York. Exactly. You know? And, I love it. You know, it's like even even if it's not true, it's just so romantic and fun and you get to try their version of it because each one is like, this is the original and this is how it's made. And it's totally different than another <laughs> establishment. And it's it's the best, you know, it's it's yeah, 
I love that point about communication as well, though. You're so true. You know, the, the decades that we're talking about, 30s, 40s or whatever, there just isn't that, well, there's nowhere near the instant communication that we have now, right? You do something, you immediately put it online for the world to see or however many people follow you to see. Mm-hmm. Um, we're nowhere near that. And it's so true. It's, it's such a logical drink as well, like you mentioned, that it's it's very likely that people were making it at the same time and felt like they were both the first or had never mm-hmm. tried it before. Um Moving into the modern day, though, I want to ask, because obviously you have a very, Mirate, as I mentioned earlier, very, very Mexican-focused when we're talking about, you know, beverage and food. Mm-hmm. What's your experience <laughs> there? What's the modern experience there with a drink like the margarita? Because I imagine, well, I, I, I want to hear, is, is that one of the most popular called-out-for drinks? Do you have one on the menu? I know we're going to get into your approach to making cocktails later because mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating, but just... Sticking with the classic mark for now, um, what's your experience there currently? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, my, I think every, most bartenders and, and kind of modern evolution have found their way to the Tommy's Margarita um, from uh, Julio Bermeo. It was uh, from, invented in the 1990s. And for me, that has to be the margarita that's on my menu. It's the star. Um, well, when I say it's the star, I guess I mean the spirit is the star. That's like a, that was created to showcase, that was the beginning of the conversation of like, what is tequila? What is agave? What is this, you know, elevation? And that's what I want because I want people to come in and at, at Mirate, uh, you know, the spirit is the star. I always say that. Like, I put a lot of time and energy into my cocktail program and it's always designed to, bring attention to spirits and then eventually catapult them just into exploring our back bar and what I'm very passionate about, which we can talk about later. But um, yeah, so I mean, when we opened uh, the restaurant, I was dead set on kind of, it was an interesting conversation. I was like, I want to do a Tommy's because I love a Tommy's margarita, but I'm actually like morally opposed to agave nectar. Um, I think it's like pretty problematic and I don't think people understand like the depth of which it has evolved in a negative way since its initial inception. You know, it's like people were really attracted to it because the way our body processes the sugars and it has like a lower glycemic index. And, you know, that, that's that's what people were initially attracted to. It was almost like a superfood buzz item, like, oh, agave nectar, it's better for you. And, <laughs> um, you know, just over the years, it's become so scaled up and it's become so um, artificially processed and, People are using, you know, giant machines to extract it when it's like immature and, and it's, you know, there's actually not a really good alternative on the market. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's a couple brands that, um, I've been very curious about and done a lot of deep dive in. And eventually I'm just kind of like, man, you know, like no matter how I figure this out and how many holes I poke in it, um, I wind up disappointed. So, uh, I wanted to start a version of the margarita that was a Tommy's and was the star, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to use a coffee nectar. I just didn't mm-hmm. want to do it. Um, <laughs> that makes so, complete you know, sense. Yeah. So we, we thought a lot about it. Um, my opening, uh, bar lead Zach and I, like, we were like talking about, we're like, so we're going to go like classic. Is that what we're doing? But what's funny is our program, we actually don't use non-Mexican products, like everything tip to tail. So Cointreau is not an option. Um, mm-hmm. so we were like, we could use, there's a Mexican version of Cointreau called uh, Controy, um, and they brought it over here to the United States recently and changed the name because of copyright, obviously, Cointreau, yeah, so it's called Naranja, and there's a couple other Mexican alternatives, but at the same time, I was like, I want to do the Tommy's, so um, Zach had worked um, with a bartender on the East Coast that had had the idea um, and had echoed my ethos, um, Amanda Barnes, which is uh, awesome, and uh she had created a version of agave syrup that she approximated that was not actually made out of agave. Um, and it was a, a mix of natural unrefined sugars and uh, honey. Wow. And I thought that was really freaking cool. So when we opened up, we did our version of, of that, which we call no agave. Um, and the whole point is that we're kind of showcasing um, the fact that we're not using that. And we want people Mm -hmm. to have that conversation started by reading that on the menu. Um, But yeah, basically, we formulated a a 50 brick syrup that's made out of, um, I'm now using local honeys. Uh, I've been trying to get one from Mexico for a long time. Uh, But I've found that it's, it's, you know, it's it's good and local to support 
um, with a local honey, uh, mm-hmm. a demerara sugar. And we are actually, now we've been kind of progressing and exploring a lot more. Um, my hope, there's a place in Ventura called Ventura Spirits. Uh, they make a California Blue Weber agave spirit. And recently I've been talking with them um, in hopes that they'll donate some of their spent bagasse or actually spent uh, agave fibers wow. um, that I'm hoping to like sous vide with uh, the actual mixture to bring it a little closer to home. But uh, the, the way we contrast it, um, and sorry, this is like a long tangent, but it's like it's a big part of our program. Um, when I went down to uh, Jalisco, uh, my friend Pedro, he, he runs Mazonte, some of my absolute favorite mezcals on the market, but he has a couple of bars down there. And uh, at De Leo, um, one of his cantinas, he actually gets aguamil reduction there, which is basically agave, like honey water, right? It's just <laughs> yeah. that's like what it is. It's the predecessor to the ferment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they reduce it into a syrup. Wow. So what I did is when I was down there and I tasted it, we now had a point to do a comparison because that's the closest I've been able to try to like an unrefined agave nectar. So we actually used that as a base for the side by side. Um, and yeah, so our Tommy's margarita is very simple. It's just literally a awesome tequila because we don't have any bad tequila in house. Um, some <laughs> fresh lime juice, uh, which we think a lot about as well. Um, and then our, some of our house no agave, just simple bare bones and people love it. People absolutely love it. I love that what you're doing there, even in a drink as seemingly simple, right, as the the margarita or a Tommy's margarita, I like how, and and this is something that I've encountered with yourself, Max, you know, in the conversations we've had over over the years now or whatever and just following your career, but how you can use such a, a popular drink to highlight something that most people, most of us are not thinking about and are completely unaware of. That's why we're not thinking about it, right? And just using that as a vehicle, doing it right, not turning around and being like, well, look, every single option we look for sucks or there's some holes we can poke in it, so we're just going to use the least worst. Mm -hmm. You're still going on that path to recreate or whatever. I, I find that fascinating. And I find using, like I said, the Tommy's Marguerite as that vehicle to start those conversations it's incredible. It's really admirable. Um, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> so in terms of maybe riffs or evolution, because, you know, there's this weird reality that there's not a lot of quote unquote classic Mexican cocktails out there, right? Or tequila based cocktails, I should say. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are a handful and I know you're an experimental guy. So I want to talk about that approach as well. Maybe different variations. Another one we could very well have done today was the Paloma, but it would have been a very similar conversation than we had with sure. Jack Schramm. But um, yeah, talk us through your ethos when it comes to approaching the classics. So, I mean, the classics, I think, are, I think we really need to like analyze what people are looking for. We need to we need to figure it out, right? Because a lot of the time it's it's what is actually invoked by this classic cocktail, where did it come from? How has it evolved? You know, like the Paloma for me is a beautiful example because it has evolved so much. It's, you know, it's, to me, it's a highball. It's a, you know, squirt, uh, tequila, and then, you know, some lime and some salt. But at its core, it's a, it's a highball, you know, it's the mm-hmm. same family as a gin and tonic or, 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 you know, any, any classic highball highlighting spirit with a lengthener and, I think it's one of the funniest things ever is in California recently. It's like, I guess I can go into a little bit more about it in a bit, but like people come to my bar and they like, I have a Paloma variation on the menu and they go, great. Can I have like, um, you know, this and some grapefruit juice. And I watch their face when I go, I actually don't have grapefruit juice behind my bar. And <laughs> I watch their just wheels start spinning and they're just like, what do you mean? And you have a Paloma on and I'm like, well, you know, I don't need grapefruit juice to make you a Paloma. <laughs> you know, like one of my least favorite things in the world is when I go to a bar and I order a Paloma and it's, I look at the menu and I'm like, never mind, because it's tequila or mezcal, grapefruit juice, lime agave. I'm like, so a tequila, kind of like a greyhound? Like yeah. you're, you've just, you've just <laughs> taken one ingredient and you've, you've taken one ingredient from a concept and you've just embellished it completely differently and you call it the same thing. And to me, that's totally different. Um, you know, I think people change things a lot. And it's like, also people don't know what they are. It's like, you know, you're talking about riffs and classics, like, you know, um, obviously, you know, we talked about like, you know, there's the Cadillac margarita and all that. I think one of the funniest modern classics uh, that doesn't actually exist because no one knows what the hell it means is the skinny margarita. You know, it's like, it's like, what (laughs) is that? You know, and it's like, and it's, you know, it's like, I've, 
I tell my servers at work, I was like, if you ring in a skinny margarita, I'm not going to make it. And I've told the bartenders not to make it because I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like, like, if you want light sweetener, do you want no sweetener? Um, I used Is to it make just it for tequila this. and lime shaken? Like, it's going to be yeah. disgusting. Yeah. So people think that a Tommy's margarita is a skinny margarita, you know, or I had a guy that used to come in, which is hilarious, uh, when I worked at Republique and, uh, he would bring his own Splenda cause he would ask us to shake Splenda into it, you know? So it's like, there's so many variations, but you know, at the end of the day, I think like the goal is just at my program is to like, I don't have to necessarily like these things, but I do need to make a version that I like. So, uh, like we just want to elevate and we want it to read as true to the original, but we want it to be delicious. So mm -hmm. The Paloma is actually, I think, maybe my pride and joy in our program. Um, I'm about to put out my second version of it, which I'm so excited about. Um, so the original one was called the Mi Compa, which means uh, each one of my cocktails on my menu is named after a type of person in Spanish, um, often slang that we think kind of encapsulates the cocktail a little bit. Uh, it's mainly, honestly, to try to get our audience to start speaking Spanish a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, at my last job, uh, I ran a place called Gracias Madre for a long time. And over the door to the kitchen, it said La Cocina. And then over the bathroom, it said Los Baños. Mm -hmm. And uh, I live in California. I live in California. And probably 40 to 50 people a day walked into the kitchen. And it's just like, it Jeez. made me realize. Yeah. It made me realize, like, I'm like, no one tries speaking Spanish here and it's annoying. And so I basically started trying to kind of name these cocktails after different kind of just like fun words that people probably don't know. So the uh, the Mi Compa was what we started with. Uh, now it's the new one is called the Tu Compa because it's the second one. It's a stupid plan word. And, uh, you know, <laughs> y compa but, como com compañero, like like a uh, colleague kind of thing. Yeah, no? it's, it's kind of like my best friend, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, my best buddy. Um, mm -hmm. And that to me is kind of like I was like. The Paloma is totally my best buddy. It's like totally my best friend, you know, it's like, and it is to so many people's, you know, it's like, I think people often unromanticize the Paloma, but like, what's cool about the Paloma is it's like some dude and he's probably working all day in the field. And then he sits on the back of his pickup truck and cracks open a cold squirt and he pours in some tequila and squeezes a lime and a pinch of salt. And it's a refreshing beverage. And that's like, that's what's, what's happening, you know, and it's, so I think it is kind of like a refreshing, very mm -hmm. friendly classic. It's usually made out of squirt, which is like total childhood memories. You mm -hmm. know, it's 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 my best friend. It's your best friend. Um, <laughs> so my my hope on that was I wanted to create something that was indicative of that classic memory, but I wanted to make it cool. I wanted to make it mirate. I wanted to make it uh, again like our cocktail program is designed to entice people in and get them really engaged and excited, and then start understanding what we're doing is so much more than just making cocktails. It's mixing with like spirits made by people that deserve supporting and we do the research for them and they can feel good about drinking at our place. But, um, so yeah, I mean, just from tip to tail on that cocktail, uh, basically it's, it's a good showcasing of technique. It's deceptively simple. People come in and they're like, this is so good. This plum is amazing. And they don't know why. And I'm like, well, if you want to know, I'll tell you, you know, and it's, uh, a, it's as ours is zero waste. I always say, because, I invented it during the pandemic um, when I was trying to uh, sell cocktails can to go mm -hmm. um, and also was very conscious of, of waste. You know, it's like um, that was back in the day when like you would shut down and you would be closed for a week and you would come back and it, you'd be like, OK, what do I have to throw away? Yeah. So our our Paloma is, um, you know, super, I guess you could call it like molecular gastronomy esque. But um, to me, it's just fun. It's like a. So I use a lot of Dave Arnold's techniques in my program, just like cutting edge kind of more, you know, engaging things. Um, mm -hmm. I also think, you know, going back to the pandemic, you know, people got really good at people realize that like, oh, I can actually make a Negroni at home. It's actually not that hard. I can buy fancy ice now and I can I can do the damn thing. So it's like it's up to me and up to our industry if we're not not everyone has to do it. Sometimes you want to go and you want to go somewhere because the vibe is amazing, you yep. know, and it's just incredible. Um, you know, I was just in New York where I saw you and I went to Long Island <laughs> Bar and I think Long Island Bar was like one of my favorite bars there. And it was just like Phil's just killing the classics over there and not, yep. he's not, he's just doing a great job. He's not, you know, centrifuging like me and whatnot. He's just killing it. So, um, <laughs> I would go back there every day. Yeah. yeah. They're just executing the classics or twists on the classics or whatever. Yeah. But in oftentimes, almost always per with perfect balance and, and precision, you know, and, and, and I think that's why yourself and so many others love that place. Uh, but tell us about your upgrade. Tell us then about your more molecular version of this Paloma okay, then. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm dying to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I'll tell you about our new one, um, which is really excited. We're actually launching it um, tomorrow, which is super pumped. So uh, first we start with the grapefruit portion. So we uh, choose grapefruit. Uh, we clarify it in a spinzol or a centrifuge. We have two different kinds. We have like the larger classic one, um, which requires a lot of maintenance is annoying. And then we have quite a few spinzols. Uh, so we do clarified grapefruit juice. Um, I acidify the grapefruit juice to match the acidity of lime. So it, it literally balances exactly like lime does, but it doesn't have any of the lime flavor. And that was very deliberate because uh, I was using clarified lime and clarified grapefruit and it kept on not tasting like a Paloma to me. It was kept tasting, you know, it was good, but it wasn't a Paloma. I needed, I needed it to taste like kind of synthetic, like not real. Um, yeah. And the way that we execute that is by taking that clarified grapefruit and making it into the lime, which is fun. <laughs> so, so it balances like, like that, you know? Uh, so I acidify the clarified grapefruit. Um, we sous vide it with its own peels, uh, sugar and salt. Uh, low and slow just release the oils, and it's actually uh, 135 for two hours, which also does a low, slow pasteurization point without actually making it taste look cooked. Um, and what we're left with is a clarified grapefruit cordial. And that cordial, especially once mixed with alcohol, uh, my canned Paloma will last in your fridge for, I cracked one that was two years old and tasted great. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, which is really fun. And that's why I always say it's zero waste, because we're using the peels, we're like making sure everything is everything tip to tail is, I'm not going to throw anything away, like at the end of the day. And um, that's always our base. Uh, in the new version, I'm using a high proof tequila from uh, Cascaween, mm. uh, which is uh, amazing. My favorite tequila distillery. This one's kind of fun because this one is like kind of ABV swapping, I always called it. Um, uh, not to go on a too long of a tangent, but I had a bottle of the Sipsmith, uh, like the, their high proof gin, the VJAO. VJOP, yeah. Yeah, P, right? Okay, cool. Um, so uh, I had a bottle of that, and uh, when I was creating, well, during the pandemic, when I was making a lot of cocktails at home, and I'll never forget, I started doing 50-50 martinis with it, and my friends were like, Max, you're what the hell are you doing? Like, basically, you know, that's like the whole point of a 50-50 martini is like a crushable, more low ABV <laughs> martini, and you get more vermouth. And I was like, no, this is awesome because I'm getting like a standard ABV martini, but I taste way more vermouth in the build and I loved it. So uh, so I riffed on that in this. So what we're doing is we're using 50% uh, tequila um, and uh, I'm only using an ounce of it. Uh, so, but it, it shines through quite a bit. And then I'm doing a, um, we're using some pulque. So uh, fermented agave nectar. Um, and we're using uh, a Mexican Jumai Ginjo Sake from Sinaloa. And then a little bit of Granada Valle, which is a bitter pomegranate amaro from Estado de Mexico. And then wow. uh, and then we're lengthening it. And then uh, I chill it down to about 20 uh, degrees. Uh, we have a custom fridge that gets down to about 20 to 23 degrees that we jerry-rigged. Um, my friend Mike has a beautiful one that's like actually made with a ton of lead time. Mine is like <laughs> literally a like a fish tank temperature regulator hooked up to a normal freezer. It just ping pongs the temperature back and forth. So we chill it down to about 20 degrees, um, 20 to 23. And then I carbonate it uh, three times at 43 to 45 PSI uh, at 15 minute increments. And then on the third carb, I let it rest overnight. And then we, uh, the next day we have a fully carbonated Paloma. But what's cool is that like all those ingredients are in here and they're all really nuanced in, but like when you taste it, it just tastes like this refreshing, classic Paloma, just with a ton of nuance. And you can tell it's special, but it's like scratching that itch where you're like, this isn't too far of a departure from the classic. This is, this tastes like squirt, but it's all homemade. And it's all like, you know, organic grapefruit and all that. So it's, it's fun, you know. And that that's, sounds incredible. Uh, the yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Wow. So, and, and, yeah. and you know what? Two for one as well for the listeners here today, because we're going into the marg, but they also get a, a riff or a, a, an evolution or an interpretation of a Paloma to digest sure. as well. So that's fantastic. Um, I want to go back to the marg. I want to go back to, you mentioned Cascaween uh, at 50% ABV. I want to talk about tequila now and break down our cocktail, our margarita in, in a little bit more detail here. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like we've covered agave, nectar, and no gave for this. <laughs> sure, um, sure. And I feel like, you know, we've spoken about orange liqueurs, what may or may not be available. So let's get into tequila, which, as you mentioned, you want the spirits to shine in your cocktails. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what are some non-negotiables for you when it comes to tequilas? Because I know, again, you're you're very much looking at things, in my experience, through the lens of 
what's good for the land, what's good for people who are making these spirits. And it's not dogmatic in terms of this is a trend, so I'm going to go against it, or this is a trend, so I'm going to follow it. So tell me about some of your non-negotiables when you're sourcing tequila. So, I mean, yeah, I um, I think it this always comes down to me for hospitality. I think, and I know that's kind of a funny place to start when you're talking about this. Hospitality for me means that what I'm serving to my guest, I can confidently endorse and I, and I, I do research and I let them know that like, this is what this is. This is who it's affecting. This is the family that makes it. This is where they're sourcing their agave from. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, there's no guessing games in hospitality. You know, it's like, if you have a shrimp allergy, I'm not going to maybe, I hope there's not shrimp in here. It's like, I'm, I'm proceeding with confidence. So, um, with our back bar program, you know, it's like, well, a, you know, a big buzz, recently, um, I suppose, uh, would be additive free. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a big one for me. I think that that's a great place to start. Um, because that's something, especially here in California. And when people hear that, it's like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, it's like, it's an amazing place to start because people understand that they're putting something in their body. That's like additives. You know, I think like, you know, I don't want to like brand shame on here or anything, but I, there's a lot of popular brands on the market and it cracks me up because I will have these people come into my bar and they'll be like, hide like a skinny margarita with this brand in it. And I'm like, you know, there's sugar in that, right? Like you, you don't, you think you don't like sweets, but you, you, you are requesting a tequila that's full of sugar. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's where we start. And that's, uh, you know, and that's not necessarily through one of the certifications that comes out. Um, those are very helpful. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I think with any system, uh, I think that there's room for error and, and, and flaws and, you know, um, the additive free certification, I don't, I don't mean to make that sound any other way that but I respect it so much. Grover is doing an amazing work with that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but like, I think the one thing about the agave industry for me is it's kind of taught me to inherently not trust certain things. Um, the CRT right now is, uh, the regulatory board that controls tequila is coming out with their own, you know, uh, certification for that to kind of combat the, the one, the tequila interchange one, or not tequila interchange, the tequila one on the market. And that one, so people were, were so excited about it. And I cracked up so hard because I was like, oh, yeah, you mean this giant government entity that's like known for its like, you know, corruption at points, yep. you know, it's <laughs> like they get paid. Um, you know, it's like, so I don't trust that. So, um, yeah, that's my whole thing is I, I work with brands I trust. Um, I keep talking about Cascoine. I love Cascoine. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, I go down there. It's not, there's no frills. It's just an actual distillery. It's not in some crazy, beautiful, you know, you're not like up in the, you know, highlands of Jalisco and they're not going to take you out to take shots in the, of their agave field. You know, it's like you go to a place, it's family owned. You talk to the master distiller, you talk to people that work there, you see what goes into it, you see what, what they're doing. And you're like, this is an honest and amazing product. Uh, you'll talk to Chava, the master distiller, and he'll, he'll have very honest conversations with you about their sourcing. Um, there's a lot of paperwork that, so basically every tequila distillery has essentially a government employee that like every agave that goes in and every batch of tequila goes out gets goes through a certification. It's like the most intense DO in the world, like more intense than French wine, anything like that. And there's paperwork that you can see of any of that, like any of the proof, right, of where these things are coming from. And no one will show that to you, but he will. And it's like, you can see where his agaves came from. You can see the weight of them. You can see the age of them. It's like, it cracks me up. Um, I had one uh, famous celebrity brand uh, that I pulled from my last job when I took over and they were very upset and they were like, what do I have to do to let get back in this program? And I was just kind of messing with them. And I said, like, if you can provide these, this paperwork for me, I'll, I'll bring you back in and it's gonna be great. And I, that poor rep, like smile was like, Oh great. I'm going to get that for you. And I was like, no, you're not. There's no way. <laughs> no. And of course they never did. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, so for me, it's like just knowing, knowing these producers, knowing these families, you know, uh, supporting Mexican owned businesses is really important for me too, you know, and, I don't want to ever speak in absolutes with that, but yeah. like, cause I think some people are doing amazing jobs and they're partnering with families in Mexico that are, they're working together in tandem and their relationship is one of ethics. And I, I but I always try to support Mexican owned businesses as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, yeah, you know, it's, it's just like doing your research, doing your due diligence, training your palate to understand what these things they might be sneaking in are, um, and asking lots of questions. Like, Mm -hmm. I think one of the coolest things that I do for my staff is like, come in, sit with me while I'm tasting with the new brand and see what questions I ask, because those are what everyone should be asking. You know, it's like, and there's only, you know, there's only so many in my Mm -hmm. opinion, but it's like the, the questions about the production projects need to be 
answered. And if you walk into my bar and you can't answer those, like, please come back when you can. Yeah. Um, or you're going to be, I'm going to be rude <laughs> as hell. And I'm going to be on my phone looking things up the entire time we're having a conversation. And yeah. it's not to me is that where it's at its core. Um, David Suro for me, um, let's say, I, I think you're familiar with the work. I think he actually got Vine Pair awarded for his. He got a VP50 award uh, this year, I think, or last oh, year. I think yeah. it was last year. I think so. I think it was so. last year. Yes. Uh, but phenomenal work. Actually, no, Next Wave Award, even. Yes, that's right. And uh, yeah, I don't know. For for me, like he is just like a beacon of ethics in, in the space. And um, I love carrying his products. To be honest, um, I'm trying to wean down my tequila selection at my bar. I just kind of want, I want people to come in and be like, hey, you have five producers you work with. I'm like, yeah, that's all I need. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's it. I'm good. You know? <laughs> like, so I want to follow up with some questions here on a few things there. I guess another point to make as well too is like, you know, I've had very similar conversations with distillers as well, where they will talk about corruption in the government, right? So that is one thing. That's something that people talk about. The other thing is additives. And I'm sure most of our listeners, if not all of them know, that is legal, right? That people are allowed to do that. And it's also, it's a chicken and egg situation, right? Where it's like, is it informing people's palates or is it going after people's palates or is it a mix of the two? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's a separate conversation. I don't think we need to talk about those tequilas today. Um, <laughs> but what about when it comes to the brands you're working with? We're talking family owned. We're talking, we know every stage of production. How do they feel when they're talking about this conversation of cocktails and not through a sacred lens, not like our spirit is holier than thou, so it shouldn't be mixed with anything, it should be sipped, more like the rate at which we might consume spirits in cocktails versus sipping, like how did they feel about that and where does that sit with yourself? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. Um, it's something I think about a lot and I tread lightly around. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's like a lot of these things are not designed to be mixed with. And I think a lot of people know and understand that, um, especially in the mezcal space. Um, I would say tequila for a long time has been in the cocktail space, you know, as our conversations are having. And I think um, especially here in America, uh, cocktails, that's kind of one of the few claim to fame we have of things we actually kind of made here. Um, <laughs> and people might call me out on that, but I, I'm, I'm think I'm speaking truthfully there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that like what it comes down to for me is I'm okay mixing with things depending on their preciousness, I guess you would say, uh, pending that in the agave space. Um, but I would say like, what's important for me is that like, I would rather mix with, a spirit here to make it more palatable to a guest to get introduced for it because it is kind of an introductory uh, process because a lot of people aren't coming in and they aren't prepared to drink uh, neat tequila. Um, and that's okay. That's fine. Um, and cocktails for me are a really good way to introduce these people to these things and still provide support for these families. And I think what I always come down to is I would rather alter a product here on my side of things for my clientele, rather than what I think is problematic, which is people making the actual culture that has been natively producing this alter it down there. You know, yep. it's like, for me, it's like, I don't carry mezcal that's uh, what I consider to be underproof, but which I mean, authentically made by the people that make it would never make it at X ABV, right? Like, so like the pearls test in Oaxaca, mm -hmm. you know, that's around 45% alcohol. And that's what I kind of use as my benchmark. Uh, because you would perform a simple test uh, where you would see the aeration of the bubbles of mezcal. And if they didn't appear, you would know that it was either cut with water, low ABV, uh, or cut with like sugarcane distillate, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I preserve that. So like for me, I don't want to carry 40% mezcal because that was made as an introductory product. And the problem is, is if we start encouraging them to make that, uh, which I would mean the people, the producers, um, they will continue to do that. So it's kind of like the whole Americanized Chinese food conversation. It's like, what elements of your culture do I deem acceptable and palatable because now that's all your culture is to me, you know? And it's like, so instead it's like, I think cocktails and mixing with it is, you know, I think, yes, I would rather people drink neat mezcal. Yes, mm -hmm. I would, you know? And like, my goal is to have people do that. But like the best way for me to accomplish that goal uh, ethically, I think is to meet them halfway sometimes and make some cocktails. But, mm -hmm. you know, I always tell my staff, I go, my goal is 
I want people to come in here. I want them to, yes, have maybe a mezcal cocktail because they're curious on this stuff. But I have a ton of Mexican rum cocktails on my menu because it's more sustainable. Yeah. And that's what I want people to drink more of. And then <laughs> I, if they're going to have mezcal, like I have an incredible selection. And I want them to go that path. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think it's, you know, there's no right, there's no wrongs in this world, but no absolutes. But yeah, I would, I, I'm okay with mixing with some things as long as, they're not super precious. The people that make it are okay with it. Like Chava from Cascoin, he comes to my cocktail pop-ups when I do them in like, you know, Jalisco and he has cocktails and he loves them and he's happy about that. But yeah, I'm mm-hmm. probably not going to take some 25 year old wild agave and put it into a cocktail to introduce someone to it. Cause I'm like, sorry, man, like that's, that's not the avenue I'm going to take. Yeah. Like if you want to try that, <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's take baby steps. Let's, it's about sustainability. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's so fair. And I think it's a great point, right? If you can start someone on this journey to the point where they are actually going, you know what, I'd rather drink these spirits neat. I have an appreciation for them now. Great in the long run. And also, it's called the hospitality industry or the hospitality business. It's a business here, right? What you're running. And if you only offered these things, if you were dogmatic and you said, we only pour them neat, I don't think you'd have as many people coming through the door, right? Like right. That, that's So you, you got to, you know, you got to navigate that. And I think I like the sound of your approach. Um, I do want to go back to the no gave for a second here, because in a minute, mm. I'm going to have you prepare this cocktail for us or talk us through, you know, your iteration of a margarita from start mm. to finish. Um, are you comfortable sharing maybe something that people can replicate at home or at their bars for the no gave recipe? So again, they're not turning to agave, you know, sweeteners themselves instead. And also sure, so that we yeah. can talk through the, the the build of this cocktail. You don't need to give away all your trade secrets. You can maybe keep some there in your back pocket, maybe simplify the version. But if you can talk us through the no gave for, for people to replicate. Yeah, no, totally. So, um, and again, you can alter this depending on your your build, um, because um, we we do measure it, and we want our syrup to be fifty bricks, um, and uh, that depends on what you're what, what you're using, right? And, uh, but that to me is like a standard kind of one to one simple. Um, basically, what we do at its core, um, the build, and we started basing it on, uh, which again I did not come up with, um, was two parts demerara, one part honey, and that was a uh, two to one syrup uh, using that as the base. Um, and I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really great, but Um, that essentially ends up being for me is a good kind of balance. Um, and again, that depends on what kind of honey you're using, which is why you kind of want to check your, uh, bricks level, um, and make sure that you're like, we've had like my friend, um, Zach, who, uh, I created this with initially his, his partner worked for, uh, Bar Hill Gin. And I was like, oh, maybe we'll use her honey. Uh, cause we couldn't get Mexican honey. And I tried doing it and it was so freaking flavorful, it just overtook the cocktail. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is this honey is too good. Um, yeah. So um, you have to really pare it down. Uh, right now I'm using a local orange uh, blossom honey in it because it does have those citrus notes, which is kind nice. of my homage to the classic margarita. Um, and then also uh, another word of advice to anybody that's making it is um, using a single varietal honey base um, is really important because I was using wildflower honey a lot. And I don't think people understand that wildflower honey means it's whatever the bees go get. So it means that the color changes a lot throughout the year, depending on what's flowering, flavor changes depending on what's in season. So it's horrifically inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So if you want, you want to find one, it's like if you get too deep of a honey for a month out of the year, your margarita is going to look like mud and that's not what you want. So again, I try to find a very like stable honey that's made from like a single type of flower. That way I'm getting a consistency in color hmm. and in flavor throughout the year. Um, and then again, what we've been experimenting with is, um, like I started taking my spent pineapple pulp and I started dehydrating it and we we're like sous videing that in with it. And, uh, after toasting it to kind of replicate that, uh, flavor of like roasted agave. Um, again, we started, we're trying to get a steady supply of bagasso to where we can sous vide it with that and actually bring that <laughs> flavor in there, which I'm really excited about as well. Um, but yeah, at its core, it's just two parts demerara, one part honey and, uh, two parts water. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, use your refractor meter, get it on, but and try different honeys. Nice. Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Because again, you know, we want people, we love it when our listeners are able to finish the episode and then go and and maybe do a little project like this and, and, you know, recreate your version of the cocktail. Uh, Max, I'm going to ask you to walk us through that, though, and the preparation as if you were making it start to finish for us today, including specs uh, and garnish and glassware. Sure. Yeah. I mean, super, super simple. Uh, almost maybe disappointingly simple. Um, <laughs> uh, it's an ounce of lime juice, 
Um, if your bricks is 50, or if you're using a 50 bricks version of the Nogave, um, that would be 0.75 ounces. Um, we used to use a version that was 0.5. It just pours a little slow for me, um, but it, that is easy to do as well, especially for the at-home mixing. Uh, and then two ounces of some amazing Blanco tequila, or if they want mezcal, we um, have an incredible mezcal, uh, well mezcal in-house that I can talk about later. But um, yeah, and then what we do is we uh, shake it hard. Mm-hmm. Um, at my bar, we use a pretty interesting technique where we actually uh, we, we do a temperature test with our ice cubes. So based upon the size of our uh, Hoshizaki ice, uh, we shake with four cubes uh, and do a hard shake because that's how we get our optimal dilution with the coldest it can possibly get. Basically, we just ran a bunch of tests and we figured out that like if we're doing an up cocktail, that's the coldest possible temperature we can get with the perfect amount of dilution. <laughs> so we shake it with four cubes. Uh, and then we do do a non-fine strain because we want like a maximum um, frith, right, on, on the top of the drink. Uh, I put that into a rocks glass just on standard rocks. And then uh, we do uh, a salt room at my work uh, at Mirate where we take uh, some of the spent uh, orange peels from the juicing process. Uh, I dehydrate them, powder them, and I make it into a salt room uh, with a teeny, teeny, teeny a bit of sugar just to balance out the bitterness. Um, and that's my homage to kind of the orange liqueur um, outside the honey. So it's kind of an orange salt rim. Um, and if you get it with mezcal, we do it um, orange and uh, salt de cusano on there as an homage to kind of the classic preparation nice. of serving that. So yeah, tip to tail. Yeah, shockingly simple right then. <laughs> I think phenomenal details. Uh, love to hear just the geekiness when it comes to the shaking and the thought process and all these things that guests might not realize you've been thinking about before, you've trialed, you've gone through to, to, to make sure that every drink that you serve them is arriving. Optimum temperature and balance and uh, dilution there. Incredible stuff. Max, before we head into our final five weekly questions to end the show, any final thoughts on the margarita for us today or anything we've covered in this conversation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, for anybody, just uh, keep going and keep drinking them and having fun. Uh, you know, it's like I think everyone can, you know, as we talked about earlier, we can talk about responsible consumption and all that all we want. But at the end of the day, like, uh, I love margaritas. I think they keep the lights on. And the more margaritas I sell is like the more awesome mezcal on my back bar I can buy and support, um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's like, yes, it is. It's, it's not a, there's a lot of problems with like renewable sourcing in terms of tequila, but at the very end of the day, it's like every margarita we're selling, we're sending money back to Mexico. And I think that's incredible as long as we're sending it back to the correct people. And yeah, you know, it's a freaking awesome cocktail. It's, mm-hmm. it's great. And I think, I don't know if you're doing it classically, you're doing a great job. If you don't like a Cadillac margarita, like me, figure out a Cadillac margarita that you do like and make that for your guests. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, hospitality. And for me, it's just like hospitality from <laughs> how you're being hospitable to the producers that are making it in Mexico to hospitable to your guests. And I think that's like, but at the end of the day, it's classic. And I always have a smile on my face when I'm drinking them. So I say, <laughs> I say go for it, right? <laughs> nice. Come full circle there. I love it. All right, Max, let's do this. Let's head into our final questions to finish the show today. We're going to start with number one. I think this might be a bit of a no-brainer, but who knows. Uh, What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? I mean, I have a ton of mezcal. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, my back bar physically runs from south to to north. Uh, So we actually organize our back bar and our menu from the south of Mexico to the north of Mexico. So. Uh, so we have, it also makes me accountable for my representation of different areas. Cause if I get too heavy, I can physically see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, mezcal for me, um, in every iteration takes up the majority of, of that space on that back bar and truthfully in my, uh, drinking habits. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I love it. I love that idea that, that, that South to North and that representation there. That's, that's a, you know, that's super interesting. Um, question number two. Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Oh, man, ingredient or tool. That is so, so tough. Um, Oh, man, that's a hard question. Um, I guess I could say, like, maybe, I mean, everyone uses it, but I don't know, think they really understand how they're using it. And maybe this kind of goes back to my margarita recipe. And I, I would say maybe water, you know? It's like, I think people don't understand, like, how... It's like, you know, if you have bad ice that tastes bad, by the time you're done shaking it, you have an ounce of bad tasting water in your cocktail. Or, you know, I think people just think, oh, I'm just going to shake it till it gets cold. But reality, it's like 
what kind of water you're using, how much water you're adding, your attention to that detail is so important. Um, and I think it's really just like an underestimated, I think people just don't think about it enough. You know, there's been a lot of uh, like, uh, I, I, I love this technique sometimes if used properly, but like a lot of people are, you know, you can take an ingredient, like a clarified ingredient, and you can swap out the water in like a martini or a cocktail for like this other flavor. And a lot of my friends, they get so excited about doing this technique and it's like uh, my friend Matt Bellinger over Death & Co, like he like tried a cocktail that was pop up with me. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. He was like, dude, it just needs freaking water. He's like, <laughs> it's like the juice in it. It's too it's like you're getting palate fatigue. You think it's interesting because you want to think it's interesting. But like the type of water you're adding and the amount of it. And I think that that's like people just don't pay enough attention to that, mm-hmm. especially at home. You know, it's like. If you're shaking it with bad ice, it's going to be a bad drink. <laughs> Sorry if that's a weird answer. And also, I think very apt for a conversation that has has mainly centered on agave spirits too. Uh, water is something we should be uh, thankful for and, and mindful with our consumption of too. You know, uh, big conversations happening there. We're going to move on to question number three, though, and I'm going to ask, what's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? You know, I think it's just... Oh, man. Uh, I think the most important advice I've ever gotten is just to stick to your guns, especially with ownership. Um, And I think that's something that I took me a while to get to do. And it's like, I think a lot of the time as a bartender, it's really easy to kind of almost like scapegoat um, with ownership, like, oh, like, I don't like carrying this, but my owner, he makes me carry it, things like that. You know, I think like, the best advice I ever got was like, keep trying, don't take no for an answer and follow your heart and stick to your guns. Because eventually, I think if you're doing something authentic and you're doing something real and you, even if it doesn't happen right away, if you continue to say that, it it happens, you know? So it's, it's I just thought that was the best advice. Because hmm. um, I think in this industry, it's really easy to get distracted by all these big brands throwing parties. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I feel ethically like inclined to not support this, but also I don't want to be lame. And they hired my friend who works for this brand and I don't want to disappoint my friend. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's like people should always understand you for being you, including your bosses. And even if it's not right away, do it. And Hmm. I think that it took me, I wish I had followed that advice sooner. Well, I love that you're sharing it here today. And I love, yeah, that we're able to share it with our audience. And yeah, like you say, it's very, very hard to hold yourself accountable to those things, but, um, it's a great example. All right, second last question. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Oof, that is so tough. There's so many memories. Um, one last bar in my life. Oh, man, that's a rough one. Because, uh, you know, it's like cocktails, vibe, what are, what are we doing? I don't know. I uh, I think that there's like certain bars in my life that like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to say it's like it's not open anymore. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, I used to love Sunny's Hideaway. Uh, it was a bar here in Highland Park. Um, this team was all amazing. The cocktails were amazing. The vibe was incredible. Um, I would be driving home from work at one thirty in the morning and like John, John, the head bartender would just like know that I was going to be passing there from work. And he would just text me. He'd be like, I can't believe you're not going to come in for a drink. And I would just be like, <laughs> oh, I totally am. So I miss it so much, man. It was like family there. I was really sad to see it close. Um, yeah, I loved it. It was mm-hmm. just Kind of like what we were talking about with Long Island Bar, because I walked into the Long Island Bar and I was like, if I lived in New York, I would be here too often. This would be, this would be like, you know, this would be like the spot where my girlfriend's like, you go there too often. This Mm -hmm. is a problem. Um, (laughs) That's kind of what Sunny's was for me. And I I miss it terribly. Mm -hmm. So Sunny's Hideaway for sure. Fantastic. All right. Then last question for you here today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Oh, man. I think if I was ordering it, if I was ordering it, because this is a cocktail I like ordering from bartenders. I don't really like, I don't know, it's, I, I like making it too, but uh, I think a tea punch, honestly. Like, I love how every bartender makes it different and it's acceptable and that's like how it's supposed to be done. It's spirit forward, it's refreshing, it's got, I just love it. I love ordering it from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to do a thing where I would go to a bar and I would like aggressively order a classic cocktail for a month from different bartenders to see how they made it. And I never stopped on, on tea punches. It was like, I'm going to order this nonstop for a month. And it's just become like my go-to. I love it. <laughs> I just love it. It's so good. What a great drink. And if you were making it. Oh, man. I, yeah, if I was making it, what would I make myself? 
I mean, honestly, I love making myself a nice gin martini. I just freaking love it. I love getting home from work, making a gin martini and just that's it. It's simple. It's clean. I love it. I'm having dinner. I'll still have it with dinner. It doesn't overwhelm anything. It's just like sometimes it's the simple things, mm-hmm. man. I just love it. I love it, love it, love it. Man after my own heart. Gin martini. I love it too. Oh, yeah. Max. I guess I should have specified, right? <laughs> <laughs> I figured it was gin, but I might be wrong. Um, no, no, you are very correct. <laughs> yeah. Max, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been overdue, but it's been a wonderful conversation. I've learned so much. And I'm so looking forward to sharing this. By the time people are listening to this right now, we are sharing it. So yeah, fantastic. Cheers, oh, Max. Amazing. Thanks for having me. This is tons of fun. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seasai, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, Thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. Cocktail College is brought to you by Tequila Don Julio. Don Julio Gonzalez followed his heart over his head. He loved his land, agave, and community. Basically, every choice he made was for exceptional tequila, something I know you can appreciate, Cocktail College listener. He did it por amor, and this is how people from Mexico basically live every single day. Hecho en Mexico, loved everywhere. Head to www.donjulio.com forward slash tequila dash drinks for a list of cocktails to create with tequila Don Julio's expressions made with love in every drop. <laughs>